This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. COVID cases surge. 95% across the province of people who are infected right now are unimmunized. The disturbing trajectory of daily infections as BC races to boost vaccinations. Pandemic passports. You are not obliged to get vaccinated, but there are consequences if you don't. All options on the table to slow the virus's spread. And spotting the signs that could save a life. Drowning doesn't look like what you expect it to in the movie. How a BC couple was in the right place at the right time and their warning to others. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The number of daily COVID-19 infections in this province continues to spike as health officials ramp up efforts to get more people immunized. We have 402 new cases and more than half of those infections are in the Interior Health Authority. There have been no new COVID-19 deaths in the past 24 hours. 58 people are in hospital though. That number is up by three. 21 of those patients are in the ICU. There are more than 2,000 active cases right now in B.C. 68.4% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Now, those numbers represent a surge, particularly among people aged 20 to 40. The province is pulling out all the stops to get vaccines into the arms of as many people as possible. As John Waugh reports, that includes Walk-In Wednesday, the vaccine blitz that health officials are calling a success. It's summertime and getting vaccinations are easy. Whether it's getting a COVID-19 shot at a drop-in clinic at Kitsilano Beach. It's outside, it's a beautiful day, might as well get out and get your vaccine. Or the worry-free access of walk-in Wednesdays. Okay, you're just going to keep your arm relaxed. The province is doing whatever it can to pick up its vaccination pace as the aggressive Delta variant continues to power ahead. As we see significantly cases amongst unvaccinated people in our province, the need to get vaccinated is stronger and stronger every day. Across British Columbia, more than 33,000 doses were delivered on Wednesday. Of those, more than 16,000 were walk-ins. The convenience factor, enough to convince more than 6,000 people to get their first dose. That's about 37.6%. Two out of three should be first shots. It was one out of six, it's now one out of three. It's getting better. We need to understand why people are choosing not to get vaccinated. A lot of the focus on young adults in their 20s and 30s. The vaccination rate for those 18 and older with a single dose is nearly 83%. The number who are fully vaccinated now just over 70%. Delta is um, rising really rapidly. We can't beat that with 1% additional vaccinations a week. We can't. While the convenience factor is helping move the needle, experts say that's not enough for those who need much more convincing. Perhaps it's more incentives or enlisting the help of pharmacists and family doctors. Link them up 
with experts, with people they trust, and then to empower those experts to administer the vaccine on the spot. For now, walk-ins are being extended to every day for those getting a first dose, as the province tries to bring this run by the Delta variant to an end. John Hua, Global News. Good entertainment at least. All right, let's bring in our Keith Baldry now with a look at the cities in our province doing the best and the worst, Keith, when it comes to the vaccination yeah. rate. Let's start with the areas lagging behind right now. Yeah, we show these uh, municipalities from time to time, and it's always the same ones. As John noted, the number of first doses are really going up incrementally. So here's a list of just some of the towns that have low vaccination rates. Keep in mind, we're approaching 82% province-wide, but Dawson Creek continues to lag behind at just over 55%. Creston and, and in the Kootenays also in the low 60s. Quinnell in the interior. But it's not just the interior in the north. North Chilliwack also has a low vaccination rate, as does the Cowichan Valley over here on Vancouver Island. So again, all health authorities have low vaccination rates in certain towns. But the good news on the success side, there's some pretty impressive numbers associated with high vaccination numbers. And that includes Whistler at the very top with 99.6. In fact, there's only 50 people in Whistler who have yet to be vaccinated with one dose. Oak Bay and Sydney over here in Vancouver Island, as is Gordon Head, also with uh, over 90%. Interestingly enough, Pender, Galliano, Maine and Saturna Islands also over 90%. But guess what? Salt Spring Island, which is in the midst of all of those uh, islands is a very low vaccination rate of in the mid-70s. Can't quite explain why Salt Spring is so low, yet other Gulf Islands are so high. We'll be updating these cities again in the days ahead. But again, our experience has been that the first dose is moving up very slowly. So I have a feeling Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, Quinnell, and uh, Creston and others will continue to make that low vaccination rest, uh, list for probably the rest of the summer. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Well, the increase in COVID-19 cases is raising more questions about whether B.C. should require a vaccine passport. Quebec saying today it will require proof of vaccination for non-essential services by the fall. That includes accessing restaurants and gyms. Here in B.C., the government says all options are on the table. Aaron MacArthur reports. See, We have uh, more than 200 uh, new cases today uh, and it's increasing every day. An announcement that shouldn't come as much of a shock. Quebec making it clear proof of vaccination will be required to access services. The details still being worked out, but a vaccine passport will be implemented by the fall. We'll announce new measures. I won't announce uh, them today. The Prime Minister agreeing with the Premier, indicating federal employees may face mandatory vaccination soon as well. It's about protecting educators and parents and frontline workers. BC hesitant to make vaccines mandatory. The provincial health officer stressing people will always have access to essential services. We're looking at all options and continue to look at all options. Despite enormous public pushback, France has mandated a vaccination passport system. New York has promised non-essential services like restaurants and gyms will be off limits to the unvaccinated. In L.A., business owners say they are leery of a proposed proof of vaccination plan. British Columbia remains committed to boosting vaccination rates, but isn't ruling out stronger measures. You are not obliged to get vaccinated in B.C. or anywhere else in Canada, but there are consequences if you don't. By the fall, everything from international travel to long-term care visits will be affected by vaccination status. 
As of right now, the health minister promising to make it easier for people to access their records if and when the information is required. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A well-known gangster who dodged death in four separate shootings is now dead. RCMP say they found Kyle Giannis in medical distress in a bizarre incident at an Enderby campground. As Rumina Dea reports, the West Kelowna resident had been the subject of a police warning put out just four days ago. The IIO now investigating. According to the independent police watchdog, the RCMP say they received a call just after midnight Thursday morning. 37-year-old Kyle Giannis allegedly assaulted two women with a knife at a campground in Enderby, say police, adding that he was apparently on drugs and had suffered self-inflicted wounds. Roughly two hours later, Giannis was found near a river. The IIO says according to the Mounties, they cautiously approached using tear gas and a 40 millimeter less lethal round. That's when they observed Giannis in medical distress. The IIO says officers provided first aid, but Giannis died at the scene. The two women survived, their injuries not serious. We're kind of trying to enjoy this time in a positive manner. Giannis, seen here in a global news story from last year, was one of two men shot in Kelowna Saturday. The suspect captured on camera bolting from the scene. It was the fourth attempt on Giannis's life since 2017. He was the intended target of a gang hit three years ago, which claimed the life of Paul Bennett, an innocent man. I'm Paul, and this is the video laparoscope. Bennett, an operating room nurse, minor hockey coach, and devoted father of two, was shot to death in his Surrey driveway in June 2018 in a case of mistaken identity. Bennett's killer has not been caught. It's unclear if Giannis may have died because of self-inflicted wounds or because of police action. The RCMP not commenting because the IIO is now involved. Romina Dea, Global News. Vancouver police have now identified the man killed in a hotel in the Strathcona neighborhood July 20th. 40-year-old Michael Bailey was found in the early morning hours shot inside the London Hotel. Two suspects fled the scene. Investigators believe it was a targeted killing. The investigation continues and anyone with information is asked to get in touch with the VPD. Well, there are fears winds will fan the flames of the aggressive White Rock Lake wildfire burning northwest of Vernon. New evacuation orders and alerts were issued last night for residents north and east of the fire, including those living in Falkland. The fire jumped Highway 97 late this afternoon, which has been closed between Monte Creek and the Salmon River Road. Structural protection crews from dozens of fire departments from across the province are working on this one. And protection gear was set up to protect a bridge at the south end of Monte Lake. Now the focus is on the weather and if conditions will make the situation even worse. I think our biggest problem is if the winds come up, then we got really got problems because then that'll blow it in, because Falkland is really noted for winds. If you're in an evacuation order area, you need to leave immediately. Um, you're putting yourself at risk, you're putting your family at risk, and you're putting um, the other responders' lives at risk, who may need to go back in and try to get you out if the situation becomes, you know, the threat becomes that imminent. If you have specific concerns, let us know so we can try to work with you. 
Right now, 136 firefighters along with 13 helicopters are part of this firefight. Emergency Management BC says so far they have been finding enough accommodations for fire evacuees. And breaking news in the Fraser Valley now where wildfires are forcing some residents on Harrison Lake off their properties. The order applies to all 28 properties on Long Island. The North End Long Island fire is growing. There are 36 firefighters working to contain the blaze with heavy equipment and a helicopter. The fire was first spotted over the weekend after a band of thunderstorms moved through the area. Well, many have been trying to beat the heat these days in BC by taking a dip in the water. But a frightening incident in Harrison Lake has a BC woman reminding everyone that a drowning can happen easily and looks nothing like what you see in the movies. Jordan Armstrong reports. This is how Hollywood portrays drowning. But the real thing is often much more subtle, much more silent. We were looking out at the water, we were looking at everything, and nothing was amiss. Emily Treen and her boyfriend were at Harrison Lake Monday. The only sign of trouble out in the water was a commotion near the shore. This kid runs past us on the phone and he points out into the into the lake and he says, he's drowning, he's drowning. Only then do they spot the victim, a man in the middle of the lagoon, hanging on to a small inflatable. Emily immediately swims out to the man, her boyfriend not far behind with a life ring for the victim. He wasn't making any kind of motion, nothing visible, that he was in distress, he couldn't say anything. Drowning often doesn't look like an emergency, something Treen thought she knew. After doing some research, following the tragic death of her friend's brother on Harrison Lake six years ago, but to witness it was very different. Drowning doesn't look like what you expect it to in the movies. It's not someone flailing their arms, it's not someone yelling, it's not someone who looks like they're in distress. Once they've gotten to a point, their body just shuts down. According to the Life-Saving Society, there have been 32 drownings in BC and the Yukon so far this year. 78% of the victims were male, just 22% female. Signs of drowning include head low in the water, with mouth at water level, head tilted back with mouth open, and trying to swim in a particular direction, but not making headway. I'm happy that we were there, and I'm happy that we were able to, to do something. But I think more importantly, I would feel a lot better if you know the message got out that it is very deceptive. She says the man in distress was brought to shore, checked out by paramedics, and released. A close call with a lasting, life-saving lesson. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A 70-year-old Penticton business owner is recovering tonight from a hammer attack and armed robbery early Wednesday morning. As Shelby Tom reports, the shocking assault is prompting calls for stepped-up public safety measures in the city's downtown core. I have 11 stitches here where he hit me with a hammer. 70-year-old Sharon Brown says she worries about her safety and the well-being of her employees after she was violently struck with a hammer during an armed robbery at her Penticton ice cream shop on Wednesday morning. I have young girls working here, you know, 15 and 16, and 
and I can't leave them alone here now. The assault sending shockwaves through the small South Okanagan community. It was a cowardly action by those two individuals. All of us at the detachment here are very upset. It's an absolutely disgusting crime that happened in our community. Prompting renewed calls for the hiring of more police officers at the Penticton RCMP detachment. Certainly at this end of town there is a certain element and we see it all the time and it would be nice if we had more foot patrols. Last week, City Council rejected the mayor's proposal to request five more RCMP officers from the force because of the cost, instead agreeing to two more Mounties in the city. It was very disappointing. I'd like to uh, politicians to think more of the people rather than financing. The superintendent in charge of the regional detachment says the hiring of additional police officers is desperately needed. There's no time right now for proactive patrols, he says. Penticton detachment members are severely overworked. They're overburdened with the calls for service here. We have the highest caseload of any uh, BCRCMP municipality policing a population of over 15,000. We're two and a half times the provincial caseload average. Penticton also has the dubious distinction of the most dangerous city in the Okanagan, according to the latest Crime Severity Index released by Stats Canada. The big driver in Penticton is our very high property crime rate. Fueled by addiction and mental health issues, Hunter says. Back at the ice cream shop, Brown is recovering from her injuries as police search for the suspects. No arrests have been made. Shelby Tom, Global News. Critical fish habitat torn up by trucks. Off-roaders running rampant on the Fraser River near Chilliwack, with the DFO well aware of the destruction. So why is nothing being done to stop it? That's next on the News Hour. An historic California town gone in minutes. How a three-week-old wildfire suddenly closed in on the community out. later. Also tonight, hundreds of thousands of pounds of trash tossed away in the backcountry. We'll meet the man cleaning up other people's messes later. Right now, though, new research shows Pacific salmon has access to just a fraction of its historical habitat in the lower Fraser River. The UBC study shows salmon have been cut off from 85% of their spawning grounds on the lower mainland. Salmon would historically use floodplains to spawn, but researchers have identified up to 1,200 dikes, dams, and other flood protection measures constraining wild salmon. It's an important issue, the researchers warn, if the fish don't have habitat to spawn, none of the other salmon conservation efforts will matter. And critical fish habitat is being threatened at the Gill Bar in the Fraser River near Chilliwack, a place popular with off-roaders when the water levels are low. As Paul Johnson reports, officials know it's happening, and now calls are growing louder for some concrete action. Don't touch my truck. Earlier this year, we told you about the situation on the Fraser River near Chilliwack where conservationists were shocked to see off-road vehicles tearing up what they insisted is critical salmon habitat. It's the most important piece of uh, river habitat in all of British Columbia and particularly on the Fraser River. Following that outcry, specialists with the Department of Fisheries and Oceans assessed the area and essentially confirmed their worries writing that at least a thousand square meters of habitat had been damaged. DFO needs to step up 
What scientists John Waring and Marvin Rosenau are now struggling to understand is why they haven't seen DFO enforcement officers seen here in action on White Rock Beach putting a stop to the destruction. There are promises being made, but we have not seen any activity to this point. DFO told Global News Thursday that they're monitoring and investigating the situation and working with the province on a long-term solution. DFO recently announced a massive $640 million strategy to rebuild West Coast salmon stocks, a project that comes at a time when a new poll by Insights West found that people care deeply about wild salmon. Declining salmon stocks actually top the list of environmental concerns in British Columbians. So with public will and more than a half billion dollars in new money, Rosenau and Waring wonder why that apparently has not translated into people with badges moving the trucks off of the fish habitat. It would be like having a herd of elephants coming into your neighborhood, trampling everything that you own and love and just running amok. And the government saying, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. We need to educate the elephants. Paul Johnson, Global News. Up next, condos make a comeback. A lot of that has to do with uh, with first-time buying activity. What's driving a shift in the housing market? And later, new technology for the win. How this machine is helping people get back on their feet. Very final clearing stages of a stalled semi. Look, there he goes. Southbound on Knight Street at 37th Avenue in the center lane. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison. In Global One, high above Knight Street in Vancouver. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. A new poll suggests worries about increasing house prices and rate hikes could push many British Columbians to relocate in search of affordable living. Of the 800 people polled by Insights West, nearly three quarters believe house prices will rise and eight in ten say interest rates will rise over the next two years. Of the 62% who own their own home, 17% are thinking of selling in the next two years, 29% within five years to downsize, cash out or move to a cheaper location. 13% are considering selling and buying in a cheaper area of Metro Vancouver or the Fraser Valley. 11% say they would move somewhere else in B.C. And nearly an equal number may move to another country altogether to afford a better home. Well, we have seen signs of a cool down in real estate over the last few months, but there's one exception. And Gaviola has more on the condo markets in Toronto and Vancouver. During the pandemic, demand for more space away from major urban cores created a frenzy of demand for houses and cottages, while condo apartments languished on the market. But over the last few months, buyers have returned en masse to condos in the Toronto area. A lot of that has to do with, uh, with first-time buying activity. And so if, if you think about younger households, um, a lot of those households were a little bit slower to recover or bounce back. 
um, from the initial phase of the pandemic. According to real estate analysis firm Urban Nation, the second quarter showed that the greater Toronto area's new condo market not only fully recovered from COVID, but also returned to near record high sales volumes. And the 905, areas beyond the downtown core, continued to be a driving force as developers and buyers sought out more affordable options. In a statement, Urban Nation says condos are experiencing a rebound in demand as single-family home prices have risen out of reach for many buyers, while the reopening of the economy is bringing more people back into the city. With condo inventory approaching a three-year low, Urban Nation expects prices to keep climbing over the coming months. The condo recovery in Vancouver is more muted, with apartment sales up 19% year-over-year and the average apartment price at nearly $737,000, up more than 8% since July 2020, but slightly lower than the benchmark price in June. Analysts say issues that drove up the price of homes and rents before the pandemic haven't been addressed, only paused temporarily along with immigration. If we want to see you know, sustained affordability over the long term, uh, then we need to see more housing supply on the aggregate. Uh, but we also need to see a greater diversity of housing supply. So uh, more so bridging the gap between, say, traditional single family homes and condominium apartments. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. Just ahead, the special machine giving mobility back to those who've lost it. Do you feel stronger? Maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Why it's a game changer and how more people will soon be able to take it for a walk. Plus, America's pandemic travel plan. How a run for the border may only be open to those who've been vaccinated. Counterflow is out and traffic looks pretty good in both directions here on Highway 99 to and from the Massey Tunnel. Want to be the ultimate content creator? Talk with expert photographers and creators at your local Henry's about the best gear for streaming, podcasting, and video content. Visit henrys.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is considering making COVID-19 vaccinations mandatory for federal employees. It is time for people to get vaccinated. For those who are hesitant to go and get their first doses and their second doses. That's why I've asked the clerk of the Privy Council, who is responsible for the federal public service, to look at mandatory vaccinations for uh, federal employees. Trudeau also said he will look into possibly requiring vaccinations for those working in federally regulated industries. The Prime Minister urged vaccine-hesitant Canadians to get their two doses as the Delta variant threatens a fourth wave of the pandemic. Well, as Canada prepares to welcome fully vaccinated Americans across the land border in just a few days, there are still no clues as to when the U.S. will reciprocate, not just for Canadians, but for travelers from scores of other countries. But as Global's Reggie Cicchini reports, when restrictions are finally eased, a new restriction could take their place, a vaccine mandate. As the U.S. watches the world begin to reopen, it still finds itself closed off, with the Biden administration dragging its feet on easing travel restrictions. The interagency working groups are currently developing uh, a policy process, and we will um, be ready when it is the right time to uh, consider reopening travel. It's partly due to the uncontrolled spread of the Delta variant within America's four walls. But with Canada planning to reopen its border to vaccinated Americans, the U.S. has been opaque on what those working groups want to see and whether it could include some form of proof of protection. Foreign nationals traveling to the United States 
may need to have some type of a vaccine uh, requirement. It's still a work in progress and isn't a guarantee, but it does open up a question about vaccines that aren't approved in the U.S., like AstraZeneca, which had three million doses administered in Canada. What we want to uh, create or determine through this process is a way to provide clear, digestible guidance. While you don't want there to be so many barriers if a country has no access to vaccines, again, we have to be forward-leaning, and this is our only way to get out of the pandemic. The confusion over travel comes as Delta remains the unwanted center of attention. 103,000 new cases were identified on Wednesday alone. You prevent it by not allowing the virus to freely circulate. It's doing just that in states like Florida and Texas, which account for two-thirds of all new infections, driven mostly by the unvaccinated. The biggest concern is that that the virus will continue to mutate, and it will, and that it could become more deadly or evade the immune response more efficiently. That could increase the possibility of requiring foreign travelers to get the shot, a move that would clash with an internal crisis, with the U.S. still struggling to protect its own population. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. In Health Matters, it's a technological assist that's described as game-changing. The Locomat machine aims to improve the mobility of those with neurological and brain injuries. Now veterans and first responders in B.C. have greater access to the expensive, life-altering device. Kylie Stanton reports. When you have rhythm, it's the body's natural reaction to keep the beat. The music? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He likes he likes the music part. But as it flows to his feet, Ryan Eddy needs a little help. As we know, he's he's confined to a wheelchair. So you, yeah. anybody who's who sits for a long time, they get the stiffness and in, in their joints and their yeah. bones and stuff like that. Eddie has suffered a brain embolism and strokes, leaving him unable to walk. At least not on his own thanks to the Locomat. It is the game changer. The Locomat is the world's leading robotic medical device. The robotic gait training machine is helping people with physical impairments due to neurological conditions. Harness will then get hooked up. Supported in a standing position. The legs are placed in. It works to retrain the brain and improve mobility all while tracking progress. Total since you started, almost 80,000 steps. But what may be more difficult to calculate are the psychological benefits. What it's done for him mentally and emotionally is uh, it's immeasurable, to be quite honest with you. He's happy with himself. He's proud with himself. Yeah, good, good, good. Currently, one of the biggest challenges is accessing the machine. This is one of only five local mats in the province. The Legion Foundation BC Yukon Command raised $250,000 with neuromotion, physiotherapy and rehabilitation matching that amount in order to make the purchase. And soon it will have a new home when the clinic moves to the Legion Veterans Village once construction on the $312 million building is complete next year. We will continue to look for what is the best in the world and bring it so that there's access to those technologies for veterans and first responders and their families. For some, it could mean walking again. And while that isn't likely in the cards for Eddie, the family has learned never say never. Every step keeps moving in the right direction. The future is bright for technology, for sure. Uh, there are so many things that are that are out there. Uh, this local mat, though, however, has yeah. has been yeah. a real bright spot yes. for Ryan. Yes, He's obviously, quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Fingerboard, that thing. Kylie Stanton, Global News. 
still to come, cleaning up the backcountry. Pretty exhausted every day. The Okanagan man volunteering his time to pick up after other people. But first, after a break, devastation in California, where a wildfire decimates an historic town. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's eerily reminiscent of what happened in Lytton. The Dixie Fire, the largest wildfire in California, has gutted an historic town that dates back to the gold rush. This is Greenville after flames quickly tore through the area last night. Among the buildings lost, an old sheriff's office, saloons, and homes. Firefighters struggled to drive through the smoke as strong winds and dry brush were fueled by the flames. Uh, fueled the flames, rather. The U.S. is currently fighting about 100 large active fires. 10% of those are in California. All right, let's bring in our meteorologist, Christy Gordon, now with a look at our weather forecast and the fire situation. We talked uh, earlier in the show, Christy, about the White Rock Lake fire, and it's not looking good right now with mm -hmm. strong winds there. That's right. So it's a strong southwest flow that they're seeing, Sophie, and they're seeing gusts in that 30 to 40 kilometer an hour range, really blowing those flames toward the northeast. And uh, let's have a look at the current smoke conditions. You can see the strong lines of smoke spreading from many fires across southern BC in that northeasterly direction. Now, uh, we're not only expecting gusts through the evening hours, but we'll likely continue to see gusty winds in all of these regions and extending into that caribou region as well through the overnight and Friday as well. So we've got another day of uh, strong gusty winds. It's not expected to ease off until Saturday. So some terrible news there. And uh, we also have a cold front that's swinging across the province uh, for the south coast. We were hoping for some moisture, but you can see from this, we really are only seeing some cloud cover from that. And will likely a majority of it will only be cloud cover, although we just have a chance of showers tomorrow morning. But focusing in on that northeastern corner, that's where we're seeing a ton of action right now. So there's certainly some rain there, but we're also seeing embedded thunderstorms with a severe thunderstorm warning in effect right now for the southern parts of the BC Peace River area and up into Fort St. John as well. So expect gusty winds, but the downpours of intense rain as well as uh, hail. Tomorrow morning, a chance of showers for the south coast area, but not a bad day. We'll actually see some sunny breaks. It's more so Saturday. That's the biggest system that has the potential of doing some... Um, uh, uh, it, having some improvement in terms of the fire situation across southern BC, but it's really only Saturday that we're watching. So again, tomorrow, uh, another dry, gusty day. We have a risk of thunderstorms in many of the interior regions. We have a chance of showers for the south coast, mainly in the morning, but we should see some breaks of blue sky. It's Saturday's system that has some majority of, the, or the majority of the moisture in, and that's what we'll be watching closely, and it takes us into Sunday morning, Sophie. So hopefully some good news there, because the next 24 hours are looking certainly very dicey. Here's a look at the dry duck pond in the Queen Elizabeth Park area. Mary sending us this one. This is a duck pond that 
used to have a lot of ducks and water in it, but it's certainly dried up. We're uh, lots of uh, signs of climate change all over the place, Sophie. Yeah, no kidding. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, you don't have to go to Tokyo to experience the Olympics. Just ask anyone out for a walk in this Edmonton neighborhood. Laura Graham has been making her neighbors smile for the past year and a half. Working from home because of the pandemic, Laura decided to spread some joy by creating scenes in her front yard using dinosaurs. Of course, her latest creation, the Summer Games. Dinosaurs competing in diving, swimming, boxing, all of the sports. It's a labor of love to spread some love and all well received by the community. People are really enjoying it and then that is good for me. Like I enjoy seeing and even when I'm in the backyard and I can hear people laughing and talking and stuff and so it's nice. It's nice to that people appreciate. Adults appreciate it, kids appreciate it. I think adults actually appreciate it the most. Over the past year, Graham's displays have included dino-themed wedding, camping scenes, and a dino toy store. She should get them to reenact. Well, I don't think, like, the Tyrannosaurus Rex had little arms. Like, I don't really see them being very good at boxing or weightlifting. No, I agree. I mean, it's like, yeah, those arms. I just can't can't, see him throwing punches. Can't reach the opponent. Nope. I mean, if he bites them, them, he'd probably win. But I think that's against the rules, or at least they should. Well, back then it might not have been. Well, you're right. Back then, because they didn't have the arms. It's Mm -hmm. like, fight. You know, (laughs) use your teeth if you got to. Uh, Uh, CFL football coming back. Yeah, actually, tonight is game number one, but it's not the Lions game. The Lions game is tomorrow. Michael Riley, of course, all week has not been throwing footballs, but the head coach of the Lions, Rick Campbell, says that actually was on purpose. Guilty of being a little overcautious, so we just wanted to make sure that he is 100%. Overcautious because Riley has a sore elbow, but they expect him to start tomorrow's game against Saskatchewan. And later, abandoned cars, piles of tires, even ATMs. The astounding amount of trash in the BC backcountry and the man who helps clean it all up. 50 kilometers of speed walking. I know. It just, it's too long. I know. It's, well, you know what? They're not going to have the race anymore. I'm not kidding. This is actually oh. the last Olympics the 50K is in. Oh, no. Because the Olympics thinks it's too long and it gets a little boring. That's what they think. We'll make it 25K then. Well, they have a 20K, so okay. they're into that one. Uh, Richmond's Evan Dumphy, though, did win bronze today in the 50K race walk. He was fourth in the last Olympics. He wasn't going to finish fourth again because fourth is the worst spot to finish in any Olympic event. So he rallied literally in the final moments of the race to get third. It looked like there was no way he'd be able to get third after he dropped back in the final kilometers, struggling with a sore hamstring. But maybe it's that craft dinner he eats in those commercials. You seen him in the commercials eating the craft dinner? I think I Whatever have. it is, he got a burst of energy and got on the podium in what will be, as we just said, the final 50K race in Olympic history. They want only shorter races in the future. And Canada's Damien Warner won gold in the decathlon. He also set an Olympic record by scoring 9,018 points for the 10 events involved. 9,000 or more is rare. Only four men have ever done it in competition the first time Canada has ever won gold in this event, and the usually, usually the winner of this event is dubbed the greatest athlete in the world because of all the things you have to do to win it. What's more impressive about Warner's win is he was the oldest guy in the 21-man field, 31. He won a bronze in the last Olympic decathlon. Fellow Canadian Pierre Lepage finished in fifth. Okay.
So with Dumphy's bronze that he just won a few minutes ago, we now have 19 medals. Of course, we will have 20 when we uh, see what happens with the women's soccer team because that's going to be a gold or silver. Speaking of which, they have changed the time for the women's gold medal game. It was supposed to be in a few minutes, but it'll be played at 5 a.m. tomorrow, our time, which is 9 o'clock at night in Japan. The original time was 11 a.m. in Japan, which would have been like Bikram's yoga with a soccer ball and lots of running. It was just too hot and too humid at that time of day. And they've also changed stadiums not to interfere with the track and field events. Well, the Vancouver Whitecaps have followed the signing of midfielder Ryan Gold with another midfielder, this time Pedro Vite from Ecuador, another guy they've been chasing for a while. He's not here yet. These are things still have to be worked out. But he does have a ton of promise. He's only 19, though, and that's pretty young to leave your home country and play in a different country. Me, I understand that a kid of 19 years old that arrives from Ecuador to Canada and has to adapt to a new language, a new, a new environment, a new country, a new league, it's going to take a little bit of time. What I hope is that they adapt quicker than what we think. Well, the on-again, off-again relationship between Lionel Messi and Barcelona is off again, and this time it might be off for good. The team has announced that even though it agreed with Messi on a five-year contract in July, they can't sign it because of financial problems with Barcelona. A deal with Messi would be, to use North American terms, put Barcelona over the Spanish league's salary cap. So Messi is now a free agent after spending his entire career in Barcelona. Look for Man City or Paris Saint-Germain to be two of the teams looking to sign him. Well, almost two years on the sidelines ends for the BC Lions tomorrow. They are in Saskatchewan. They will play in front of a full house. First game of the regular season. Incidentally, the game can be heard on AM 730, pregame show starting at 530. And all week long, the question has been, with quarterback Michael Riley's sore elbow, and will it feel better in time to start the game? When the Lions huddle on the field Friday in Regina, they fully expect Michael Riley will be in the middle of it, calling the plays for the Lions, despite resting an inflamed elbow all week in practice. Yeah, it feels great today. I mean, uh, you know, it did what we were hoping it would do just with some rest, that it, uh, it would get back to feeling good and fresh. I mean, obviously, proof will be in the pudding during the game, but... Um, Right now, I feel confident we've done everything to give ourselves the best shot to be as fresh for tomorrow as we can be, and right now it feels like it's paid off. If anything, I'm guilty of being a little overcautious, so we just wanted to make sure that he is 100% and has a live arm and all that stuff, so that's what we're anticipating him being full, full ready to go. Riley, like most everyone on the Lions roster, has been waiting for this moment for so long there's no way he's missing out. And to play it in the best atmosphere in the CFL, the juices will really be pumping. Where else would you want to be uh, after a nearly two-year two, two year break in front of a sold-out crowd that's going to be crazy, right? So that's going to be exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to being there myself, but also for the guys that haven't experienced our league before, it's going to be a great opportunity for them to see what it's all about. I think it's going to be an electric environment. You know, uh, Saskatchewan, they have a great following and uh, they're a great team. So I'm just excited. You know, I think it's going to be, you know, it's a sold out game. You know, the first game back in SAS in, in two years. So I just think it's going to be an exciting environment and no better way, or, you know, where to play than, than you know, us against SAS. The Lions expect to be rudely welcomed back to the CFL. Beer fueled Riders fans have been known to hurl insults and objects at the opposition. I don't ever get close enough to the back end zone line to have them throw. You know, nobody in Regina's got a strong enough arm to throw them that far. I just try to stay in the middle of the field. But, uh, you know, 
I guess take it as a compliment, right? If they're, uh, if they're upset with you, that means you've done something right. All right, the CFL season is underway. Tie Cats and Winnipeg, who played the Grey Cup in 2019. Jeremiah Mazzoli of the Tie Cats. This is from 37 yards away. Jalen Acklin, touchdown. Football is back, and that's a nice play. It's 7-6 Winnipeg in the second quarter. There you go. All right. Thank you, sir. Up next to BC Men, keeping the backcountry clean. Stay with us. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. You'd think being a father of three with a full-time job would keep Kane Blake busy enough, but he spends his downtime volunteering to pick up other people's garbage. In tonight's This is BC, how Citizen Kane is cleaning up the Okanagan backcountry one forest at a time. Another patrol in the backcountry reveals a familiar scene to Kane Blake. Garbage and debris, old tires dumped on both sides of a remote road, and it gets even worse as the day goes on. Oh, it goes all the way down the hill too. It will require some backbreaking work for Kane and the Okanagan Forest Task Force to clear out this mess. There's times where it seems like we'll do a cleanup and a week later you'd never know we were there. This is Kane's life during daylight hours while holding a regular job at night. I'm pretty exhausted every day. <laughs> and summers can be even busier looking for abandoned and illegal campfires. The fire ban came in and every year there's the odd group that doesn't think it applies to them. Since the nonprofit group formed in 2016, they've pulled out an estimated 356,000 pounds of garbage in the Okanagan Valley. Old vehicles, garbage dumps, abandoned campsites. Quite often they have to call the RCMP on some discoveries. ATM machines, a few abandoned safes. Kane's a family man with three kids. He's out of the house a lot, but at least they all share his love of the backcountry. I'm grateful that my family is understanding and supportive and things like that. But yeah, you know, they're, they're disgusted that I have to be out there picking up garbage. They've set up trail cameras at some dumping hotspots and have caught some culprits. What would you say to people who think they can get away with that? I'll catch you. <laughs> but the cleanups never end. It's grueling work and it's doubtful Kane will ever get much rest. I'll probably never be happy with how our forest is. There should be zero garbage in it. But that's not the case. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. I can't believe... Who are these people I'm, who leave all that crap in the forest? It's not good. But thankfully, he's taking care of it. Yeah. All right, final word on the weather, Christy. Mm -hmm. Sure. So we do have a chance of showers across our region tomorrow morning. Uh, we'll see some sunny breaks as well. This first wave of moisture, not a lot, and mostly it's bringing cloud and gusty winds. It's Saturday that we are expecting some rain. All right. Thanks for that. And thanks for watching tonight. Have a good night, all.